Our scripture lesson is from Ephesians, the third chapter, starting at the 14th verse. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Oh Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Do you remember the great humanitarian, Mother Teresa? She was interviewed on television one time, and the reporter asked her, when you talk to God, what do you say? And she answered, I don't talk, I listen. Okay, Dan rather said. When God talks to you, what does God say? And Mother Teresa said, God doesn't talk to me, God listens. And if you don't understand that, I can't explain it to you. Well, she was right. Prayer is a mysterious, miraculous, marvelous event. In an essay on prayer, the uh, well-known co commentary writer and Bible scholar William Barclay uh, suggested several guidelines to consider when we pray. First, he suggested that we only pray for what we're ready for. You've probably heard of the country preacher whose congregation had gathered in a farmer's dry field to pray for rain. And he looked around at the congregation and said, where are your umbrellas? <laughs> they weren't ready for what they prayed for. We need to, when we pray, we need to be prepared for success. And Barclay also wrote that we should not pray for stuff we should do for ourselves. You know, like to do well on that test or that presentation that we didn't prepare for or to succeed at that challenge that we're not, we hadn't really devoted the time and energy to do. You know, I might love to be able to speak French and Italian and German and all these Chinese or whatever, but if I'm not willing to put the time and effort to learn it, praying is probably not going to get me there. He also said that we need to avoid selfish prayers. You know, such as that our team win and the other team lose. <laughs> well, that is the way it'll work out. Some team will win and some team will lose, but even when the prayer's about war, you may have heard that quote from Abraham Lincoln who suggested, pray not that God is on our side, pray that we are on God's side. And then Dr. Barclay said, prayer is, 
Prayer is not a way of making use of God. Prayer is a way of offering ourselves to God in order that God would be able to make use of us. It may be that one of our great faults in prayer is that we talk too much and listen too little. When prayer is at its highest, we wait in silence for God's voice. We linger in God's presence for his peace and his power to flow over us and around us. And we lean back in those everlasting arms and feel the serenity of perfect security in God. When I read today's passage from Ephesians to my children some time ago when they were teenagers and, and I'd asked them what they thought, they both said, there were a whole lot of words there and said, is there maybe an English translation of all of Paul's prayer? There are, there are letters that Paul wrote where one of these long, complicated chapters is one long Greek sentence. The translators had to break it up into manageable phrases. Well, sometimes it does help to listen to other translations. So listen to how Eugene Peterson rendered this in the message. He said, my response is to get, on, get down on my knees before the Father, this magnificent Father who parcels out all heaven and earth. I ask him to strengthen you by his spirit, not a brute strength, but a glorious inner strength, that Christ will live in you as you open the door and invite him in. And I ask that with both feet planted firmly in love, you'll be able to take in with all the followers of Jesus the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Reach out and experience the breadth. Test its length. Plumb the depths. Rise to the heights. Live full lives, full in the fullness of God. Well, Paul's first petition was, I pray that according to the riches of glory may grant that you'd be strengthened in your inner being with power. Well, how about it? Do you need to be strengthened in your inner being? Each of us has our strengths and our weaknesses, and you and I need to pray that we will be strengthened in at least three ways. First, the first strength would be to reason to discern God's will, to know what it is we're supposed to do. Second, Strength of conscience, to know what is right. Sometimes you have hard decisions, especially when it's two good things, or even worse, when I, you've got two bad choices, knowing what's the right thing to do. And then third, the strength and the will to do what we know is right. There are a lot of times we know the right thing to do. That's when sometimes people go for consultation, you know, Consultation is usually when you ask people to ex explain why you should do what you want to do the way you want to do it. Well, you've probably seen those bracelets that say WWJD, reminding us to ask, what would Jesus do? One of the preachers I enjoyed over the years is Peter Gomes. He, he used to preach and teach at Harvard and occasionally down at Duke. He said that, that's a good question, but it's kind of presumptuous for us to think that we 
might routinely be able to perceive God's will and that once we perceived it, that we would have on our own the strength of conscience, the character to do it. So that's one kind of strength to pray for, the wisdom to discern and the strength to do God's will. Well, Paul's first petition is that we be strengthened on our inner being and his second petition is that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith so that you're being rooted and grounded in love. So how are our lives different when Christ dwells in our hearts? When Christ dwells in our hearts, we care less about self and more about others. When Christ is in our hearts, we care less about things and more about people. We care less about prestige and more about the folks Jesus called the least of these. And how about that phrase, rooted and grounded in love? How are we different when we are rooted and grounded in love? A well-planted shrub or tree or flower thrives. So do we. In my work as a psychologist, I once worked with a young man who, who described horrible parents and a truly tragic childhood. And despite all of that, this young fella, not to mention having a severe vision problem, he had an optimism. He had a smile that just glowed. So I said to him, you know, you grew up in terrible circumstances, but I just know somebody loved you. Who was it? He smiled real big and said, my grandma. When we are rooted and grounded in love, it shows and we thrive. The first petition in this prayer of Paul's was that we be strengthened in our inner being. The second is that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith, rooted and grounded in love. The third petition, the third prayer here, is that you have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So what length and width and height and depth do we need to comprehend? Well, one answer is God himself. At various places in Ephesians, Paul described God as powerful, rich in mercy, lavish in grace and rich in wisdom. Some have suggested that the length and width and depth and height we need to comprehend is the cross. You cannot sink low enough and you cannot rise high enough and you cannot stray far enough not to need the cross, the ultimate symbol of God's love. No one is outside the reach of God's love. Paul's prayer say we're, says we're to do this with all the saints. The gifts are to individuals, but they're also corporate for the group, for the church. We are called to be the church, the community of faith, witnesses to God's love. What is it to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge? Well, there's an old hymn that describes what it is to know the love of Christ that surpasses human understanding. 
you may know it. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus and to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise and to know thus says the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. How I proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. Oh, for grace to love him more. Well, some cynics would dismiss verses like that as the naive thoughts of someone who had just not known how hard real life can be. And they would be wrong. Louisa Steed, the author of that hymn, and her husband, relaxing with their four-year-old daughter on a Long Island beach. When they heard the cry of a desperate child, the husband jumped up and ran into the water as he tried to save that drowning child. The panic-stricken child pulled him down so that they both died in front of Louisa and her daughter. That was in 1892. It was long before the days of Social Security or modern insurance, and Miss Steed and her daughter were left without support. They were broke. They were drowning financially. One day she opened the door and found that someone had left a basket of food and an envelope with enough money for food for a while to tide her over. And that was the day she sat down and wrote this hymn, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. Paul prayed all three of his petitions for one purpose, so that you may be filled with the fullness of God. During the 30 years or so I worked as a psychologist for the state, I worked with many people who were depressed. People who were depressed often talked about feeling empty. Not just down, not like you're down in a hole, but like you're down in a bottomless pit. They felt like they were missing out on life. They felt their lives were incomplete, without meaning, kind of like that old Peggy Lee song, Is That All There Is? Very depressed people talk about that pit just not having a way out. Well, anyone who's felt lost like Louisa Steed knows what it is to have an unfillable hole in your heart. Anyone who's felt guilt for the past or fear for the future or awkward in the present knows the need for prayer. And anyone filled with the fullness of God knows that it is indeed oh so sweet to trust in Jesus. Well, it won't surprise you that our hymn is <laughs> number 350, written by Miss Louisa Steed. Now to him who is by the power at work within us, able to accomplish abundantly, far more than we can ask or even imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, to all generations, forever and ever. Amen.